Hello, welcome to Leslet. My name is Nicole Disney, and I am an author and, of course, a reader of lesbian fiction. And if you're not already familiar with this podcast, we just talk about everything that has to do with that topic. Reader perspectives, writer perspectives, all welcome. Anything related to this thing that we love called lesbian fiction or lesfic or leslit or whatever term you've heard and like. And I'm Cassandra. I'm the reader. And she is a fan of Les Fick and also a writer. <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. She's my biggest fan. She's also my wife, disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> she better be my biggest fan, right? <laughs> For real, though. For real, though, don't be discouraged just because she's my wife. She honestly knows her stuff. She's a fantastic writer in her own right. And we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff today. So, Cassandra, anything you would like to say about kind of who you are and what you do? Okay. Well, my primary passion is um, making music videos, but my number one love has always been writing. But I just do journal stuff. I, I have done fiction stuff, but I definitely love journaling and prose and poetry. That is my jam. It absolutely is, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more later because I've read plenty of it, and I have things to say. (laughs) Well, what is lesfic to you? like? You know, this is one of those questions that sounds very straightforward, but the longer you sit with it, like, you can, like, blow your own mind a little bit and, like, get super deep and end up being, you know, it's kind of like, what is is life? (laughs) You know, you can get existential with it if you want to because, honestly... What is Les Lit? Well, I guess a very simple way to say it would just be that it is literature or fiction that centers around lesbian characters. Would so you could be straight and write a book about lesbians and it would be lesfic. Yes, exactly. Yes, it does not matter the author's orientation. We tend to be lesbians, but it's not necessary. I know some bisexual lesfic authors. I don't know any straight lesfic authors, which is interesting because there are plenty of straight women who write male on male stuff. Oh, that's not surprising at all. That's I think there's like a statistic saying that like women enjoy gay men porn the most. But mm-hmm. I assume it's because they're just so into it, you know. <laughs> if you if you've been around the Pornhub, then um, <laughs> should we play the song? <laughs> oh but, no, the the Pornhub song. Yeah, I know the <laughs> uh, the trend, the TikTok trend. If you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> watch my head whip around. <laughs> but um, no, but these lesbians in quotation marks um, around the pornography world, you know, with their six inch long fingernails and, <laughs> you know, you're just watching them cram it up there and oh, you're just God. like, no, 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 <laughs> no. And you just watch them like each other on. It's awful. And you're like, girl, that's not the way you know. <laughs> it's not. The, you've never been with a woman you in have, your life. Yeah. You've never done this shit before. Don't lie to me. <laughs> Well, this got raunchy fast. Sorry. <laughs> that is also my MO. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so gay men are just, like, all about it. They're like, yeah, I wanna, I'm going to take it. I want to give it. This is amazing, you know. And That's the opposite. You can tell they have been around a dick before. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I love this. You know, it's like consent in its purest form. I like that. That's true. Because even if you're talking about straight sex, there's always a feeling of unpleasantness for the woman. You never really quite believe she's having fun. She's acting like she's having fun, but I'm not buying it. I I agree that gay men are probably the only ones who look like they are actually having a good time. Mm -hmm. Anyway. We digress. (laughs) (laughs) Not that shocking for me that straight women write Gay men. Gay men. Yeah, that's a that's a huge demographic, I would say. But I haven't seen the same in Lesfic really. I'm sure there are some out there. Maybe reach out to me. If you're if you're a straight woman or straight man for that re- for that matter, who writes Lesfic, tell me about it. And the other thing I guess to differentiate too is I don't know how much straight women write gay men as far as just a normal fiction story i think it's mostly erotica which kind of comes back to the porn thing you're talking about Mm -hmm. 
because erotica is kind of written porn in a way, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's there's a it's a little more artistic than that, but it's similar. And it's art for the sake of, well, that's the difference, right? It's art, but it is for the sake of turning someone on. Right. Versus porn. I don't know if you can quite call that art. Maybe you could. Maybe in certain circumstances. Oh, yeah. There's a whole new wave of porn coming out. Um, I believe there's a whole website that's dedicated uh to porn for women and it's just a lot more emotional and more storyline I was gonna say is there a story (laughs) (laughs) it's truth like oh I can't even I can't even do any self-pleasuring without like having to create this whole freaking like I, I get caught up I'm like I don't have time to do this because I get so caught up in the details of how it even begins I'm like okay so they're at a movie and then they're making eyes and then you know <laughs> oh wait the choreograph doesn't work for you know what I'm trying to make happen with this fantasy so I gotta switch things up and it's too accurate women like realism I think I don't know maybe for it's sure. just me no I don't think it's just you <laughs> <laughs> And I think that is probably also why there are a lot of women who like erotica. That is mainly a female thing, too. Men don't really read erotica. They're happy to just watch their porn. We're speaking in generalities, of course, but erotica appeals mostly to women as well. And I think that's because you can do that. You can establish that story and character and all those things and then and then get to the sex. Could there be a lesbian story that has nothing to do with romance? Is that even a possibility? Sure, absolutely. Really, the only requirement is that the major character, a major character, is a lesbian. I want to say even main character. I don't think you could get away with it being a secondary character and call that lesbian. Uh, you could maybe have, if you had like a two-character main character situation, those would usually means romance, but... A very major central character must be a lesbian. I want you to direct me to a book that is like that, because I really want to... That is a lesbian without romance? Yeah. And we'll just try any other genre, really. Look at thrillers or, um, you know, intrigue. Paranormal. Paranormal. Yeah, and there might be a romantic element, but it won't be the driving force. That's what makes a romance a romance, is that the point of the story is the romance. In any other genre, the point is whatever that is. If it's, you know, a mystery, the point is to solve the mystery. And maybe there's also notes of romance in there. But the point, the driving force behind the book is solve the mystery. Mm-hmm. So I could point you to tons of them. Wonderful. <laughs> so lesbian is like relatively new to me. I grew up a lot more with like videos, movies, you know, I think... A bound was the first one. <laughs> That's a good one. That I ever saw. <laughs> and I was like a little kid and my mom was all like, go to your room. And your eyes popped out of your head. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like nine and I like poked my head out, this, you know, out of the room, you know, to sneak a peek and continue watching. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, what are these feelings? <laughs> but I still never put anything together for like another 10 years. Mm-hmm. So what was it like for you discovering lesbian for the first time then? Well, you were my first lesbian fiction, I think, that I ever read. Oh my goodness, what an honor. (laughs) Before then, it was just all these, like, tragedy movies, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, High art and um, Boys Don't Cry and... Oh, God. (laughs) Great great movie, don't get me wrong, but... (laughs) Although that, you arguably, is a transgender movie, isn't it? Yeah, it falls under the umbrella of LGBT literature, but yeah, it's not lesbian. Yeah, so even smaller scene then, and then it took me, like, forever, and then I finally got into L Word, and... There's your first true lesbian, although not in book form. That is... <laughs> the essence of mm-hmm. what it is to just that was the point of that show is to have main characters who were lesbians and show what that looks like and what their lives are and and have them be leading the the story right and it even still watching that show it was still kind of hard to identify with a lot of the characters because we're following rich ass california people <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. so like there was a lot of things where it's like, oh, yeah, me. But then also a whole large part of it. I was like, oh, 
I don't know. <laughs> I hear a lot of people complain about the L word not being realistic, which is interesting because I didn't really feel that way. Yeah. You know, it wasn't necessarily me, but I didn't feel it was unrealistic. Right. I didn't think it was unrealistic. I thought it was just the, the upper class lesbian, you know, <laughs> that's, that's who we're following. We're not following middle class or lower class, you know. Well, but then you've got Shane, who's a, you know, train wreck for a lot of it. Oh, she's j- rich and has a drug problem is all it is. How do you figure she's rich, though? She's a hairdresser. Yeah, for all the major movies and stars and all that junk. I mean, eventually. But if not you for live a in the California, it. like immediately, you're either like homeless, starving artist. That's kind of what she was. Or you are bet. Okay, but <laughs> and granted, the Shane situation does evolve over the course of it. But in the beginning, she's got like three roommates. Mm-hmm. And true, yeah, she she's broke at first, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then she gets success and starts working on big projects, and it changes. But she's broke at first for sure. Yeah, okay, she's the one exception, but still, <laughs> even you're all like, sure, she's like the mm-hmm. still like even though she's like lower class technically or whatever the hell you know, yeah, she's still like the super banging you know iconic. I could never be her, you know. I want her. I want to be her, you know. It's, She's the bad girl. It's so out of reach at the same time, you know. What yeah. I mean? Fantastical a little. Which is hilarious because you probably totally could bang her. She banged everyone. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think... The very first Lesfuck book I read was yours, and it was, you had just, I think you were polishing up your final draft of Dissonance in A Minor, mm-hmm. which eventually turned into Shadows of a Dream. Eventually, but that's a little misleading, because Dissonance in A Minor was published as Dissonance in A Minor as well, and then was eventually published as Shadows of a Dream, so they are two... Entities, kind of. Same story, but their own thing. So, Dissonance did make it to print as Dissonance in A Minor. Right, just smaller publishing company. Much smaller. And um, that was kind of my first experience with being published. And, uh, yeah, it's funny because I had written... I started writing seriously, I guess, when I was like 15 or 16. I had, was doing lots of little stories up until that point, but that's when I decided to write a novel for the first time. And I wrote a fantasy novel, and I think that that was just because at the time, that's what I was reading. I was reading, you know, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and all that kind of shit. So I was just in this fantasy mode, and that's what I decided to write. That ended up being, I think it was like 80,000 words, pretty standard, not for a fantasy necessarily. That's what romances tend to be. Fantasies tend to be epic, but, you know, still definitely a book, and uh Got that worked on with a friend of a friend who was an editor, just kind of family connections. She edited it and kind of introduced me to what that whole thing was about. Moved on from it pretty quickly. I had like this one little phase where I was like, oh, you know that series? um, Well, the first book is Aragon. I can't remember what the series is called. But, you know, that that was published by like a 16-year-old guy or something. Oh, really? Yeah, he was young. Oh, okay. And I was about that age writing my little fantasy novel, so I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be that guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, he kind of gave me hope that that could be real. But then I worked with that editor, and she changed so much of it that by the time it was over, I didn't even like the story anymore. So I just put it aside and wrote another one and did fantasy again. And this one was kind of epic. It was super long, and I just kind of wrote for the sake of writing. I was just having fun, and it ended up being super long because of that. And I don't know what it was about that book, but when I was done, I was just done. I didn't really try to edit it. I didn't ever think about doing anything with it. I was just like, okay, I did that, and moved on. And that is when I came to Dissonance in A Minor. And this was the first book that—this is kind of where I came into my own, because now I think I was 18, 17, 18, and um, I wrote that— And it just kind of was the first time I just threw all of what I thought writing should be out the window and just wrote the story I wanted to write and didn't worry about where I would be able to get it published or who would read it or anything because I kind of did that with the fantasy. Like I I wrote it because I loved fantasy, 
But it was also, like I said, what was popular at the time, what I was reading at the time, what I thought might be publishable. And then I wrote Dissonance in A Minor just because that was what was going on in my life. You know, I was understanding that I liked women. I was dating girls for the first time. I was around musicians and drug addicts. Just kind of seeing what that whole world was like, and it was so fascinating and dangerous and sexy and whatever. <laughs> so um, it's a very young fascination, but I was young, and um, and thus your first angsty book. Yes, my first <laughs> and possibly angstiest. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the only book that you know. That was my first book where I just wrote it just because I wanted to, just because that was the story that was in my heart at the time that I wanted to re- read, that I wanted to write, and I didn't really even think about or worry about where I could possibly publish it. So I just did it. Yeah. So that was Dissonance in A Minor, and you were the first person who read it. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Because hmm. it was not even really done. Your ex didn't read it. She hadn't read it then. She did eventually, but it was not to the point where I usually let people see it. Okay. And I let you see it. Ooh, Ooh, special. You were special. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was floored. I was like, this is like watching Requiem for a Dream, but with lesbians, you know? (laughs) Yes. I was so into it, because I was so over, you know, the commercialized stuff. I wanted dark and emotional and your stuff was so like poetic and angsty i don't i hate that word so much and people use it in such a negative way but it's emotions it's raw emotions it's anything it's the the deep dark stuff i love that stuff i love that stuff too and especially at the place i was in at the moment was very you know I think when you're young in particular, you're you're curious about all, you know, the underbelly, the underground, the dark, you know, and you're feeling all these emotions and discovering all these things for the first time that it's the perfect time in your life to write that kind of story. That's just everything you're experiencing is so intense at that time, I guess. So Dissonance won a contest. Did it win before? published i can't remember yeah it did win before i published actually um i submitted it to a contest and as the winner one of the prizes i got was i got to have a one-on-one sit down with an agent who had given it to me because the way it works the the contest and it was part of a conference it was the rocky mountain fiction writers conference and every year they do their conference and they also do their contest and they announce the winner at the conference And so they have this whole judging process. They have lots of judges, and they weed it down to finalists. But then they give the finalists all to an agent who publishes in that genre, and the agent chooses the winner. And if you are the winner, you then get to sit down with that agent and talk about the book. Was it the whole book, or was it, like, the first six chapters, or what was it? Um, It was not the whole book. I can't remember how much of it it was. It was a good chunk, but not the whole thing. Mm. Less than half. But... Once they choose you as a winner, they ask for the rest, you know? So, I mean, they don't have to, but that's generally what happens. So I had to have a little sit down um, with her, with the agent. That was my first big agent that I got to, like, Mm. talk to and get my hopes all super high, you know, of course, because I'm like, oh, she she chose me as the winner. This is going to be amazing. She's going to publish my book. It's going to, you know. Represent you. Yeah, you think it's going to be life-changing you know and someone even told me that when I was announced as the winner one of the other people who was a finalist came over and like kind of like knelt down by my ear and said your life just changed and I remember that yeah and of course I wholeheartedly was super into that at the time I'm like, oh my god it did didn't it what happened to that lady I miss her she was so awesome Angie she's still around and she's doing well she uh I haven't followed up with her in a while at this point but last i heard she was working with Kristen nelson who is pretty much the biggest agent in denver nice yeah like working at the agency with her not Uh, not being published by her but literally working there with her cool um yeah but in any case that was that experience and it amounted to nothing in the end they asked me for the rest of the book and then they passed but um yeah that was it was still a fun experience Right. And dissonance, like, 
Dissonance is totally different than Shadows of a Dream. I mean, not totally different, but I would say, what, the last half of the book is totally different? Not even that much, really. The main difference is the way it ends. Um, Dissonance in A Minor has a tragic ending. And I did that because at the time, I thought that that was what the story needed. And I didn't really realize all of the history, you know, in lesbian fiction, literature, movies, everything, any kind of lesbian media, really historically it always has a bad ending because they were anti LGBT Mm -hmm. and they were teaching their characters a lesson. It was a morality thing that they would break up or go back to their men or die, Mm -hmm. you know? And I wrote this tragic lesbian story where one of them dies and I had no clue. I didn't even know about lesfic yet. Mm-hmm. I wrote that story having no idea that that was a genre with all of its history and, you know, legends and moguls and all of that. I had no clue. And so I wrote this lesbian story with a tragic ending where one of them dies. And to me, it was very innocent. I was like, yeah, she's a drug addict. That's what happens. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it, I think that was part of why the agent that I talked to didn't want it. And she didn't. She could have told me that. I would have appreciated it. She did not. But um, I, I think that that was at least a contributing factor, is that it it was um, discriminatory and it was kind of a, you know, the moral of the story here, folks, is don't be a lesbian. You know, like that's how tragic endings were no, used. The moral of the story is don't great date people of one foot in the grave. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was my moral. But yeah, I mean, the lesbian community did not... that they, they were too wounded in that way, you know, that they did not need another story like that where someone died. Yeah. Needed more positive endings. Yeah. And now we're on the flip side, where, <laughs> where only happy, flowery things are expected. Yeah. Well, in Shadows of a Dream, no one dies. Spoiler. I did change it. That's not the only reason I changed it, though. It is better for the story as well. So me reading Dissonance was my first experience of lesfic. When, when was yours? Mine didn't come for a ridiculously long time. I mean, I guess I was pretty young. I think I was 19 or so. So, I mean, I was fairly young. But it felt very late because I had literally already written a lesfic book before I ever saw lesfic. And the reason I discovered it is because I was trying to figure out where to publish Dissonance in A Minor. And I had, I was originally just sending it to all these normal mainstream publishers and kind of sending it to anyone who had done sort of grungy, gritty, dark stories like that. But I, um, so I was just looking up publishers who had published something dark, you know, like other drug stories or tragic stories or, you know, street stories, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Chuck P-esque. Yeah, and it just, it wasn't working out for me. And they everyone kept telling me, you know, you got to find something that's like yours. And I'm like, I'm trying, you know, I'm looking at homelessness and drug addict stuff and, you know, like street life and music stuff, you know, I'm like, I'm trying. And finally someone was like, no, honey, gay stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> Why does it matter that she's gay? Like, I don't know. It was a very, like, innocent. It's kind of cute looking back at it, how much faith I had in the world. <laughs> and I'm like, why would anyone care that they're gay? <laughs> but, um, right. That's the thing I like about your books, t- too, is, like, the fact that they're gay is so after the fact. It's such a side note. It's like they have their own life that they're living. And then, uh, by the way, they're also trying to maintain this lesbian relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, that's a, a thing that's very common to lesfic, but I didn't know that because you have to discover this little bubble, you know? And what you see in the mainstream, anytime an LGBT story is published by a mainstream publisher and the story gets huge, it's generally about the fact that they are gay. It's a coming out story or it's a boys don't cry type of story, you know, where the conflict of the story is their gayness, you know? Their identity. yeah. Exactly. Versus Lesfic does have coming out stories and things like that as well. But a lot of what Lesfic is, is it's just stories where the characters happen to be gay. It's what what I do. I just didn't know that yet. And the way I finally found it is because I got 
told no by enough mainstream publishers and a few of them even started to make comments like you know they it wasn't for them and their audience wouldn't receive it well they had certain little code ways of telling you our readers aren't ready for this you know things like that and on a couple of different levels honestly yeah but just the gay thing i finally started to understand that i they they were telling me to go and find a gay publisher or an LGBT publisher. And then I, of course, just got on Google and just searched, you know, pe- publishers that work with LGBT literature. And I got a very short little list and through researching some of those and reading some books from them, because that's a common thing you do when you're trying to find a publisher is you'll read a story or two that they've published and see if if it's got your vibe, you know, and then just to know if you even should submit. And then if you decide you should, you can tell them that like, hey, it's kind of like this other thing that you like. So you should, you should pay attention to me. So in the process of looking up these publishers and reading some stories from them, that's kind of how I finally found Lesfic. And then of course, like another other searches too, just on the great books with lesbian characters. I think I pulled a top 10 lesbian stories search on Google or something and looked through them and just picked one that sounded good to me, which turned out to be Annie on my mind. Which, Never read it. Well, you might need to change that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic. It's a very popular one and um, was it rocked my world. And not that it's not a good book, but it, it, it is a good book, but it rocked my world mostly because I'd never seen that before. And I didn't know that that was a thing. And I was like, oh, other people are doing this. They are just writing books that are about lesbians and unapologetically. So that was really mind-blowing for me. And I got super sucked into it. And of course, I just started reading a bunch of books. I like forgot that I needed to publish my own book for a second to just go on a reading binge. I was like, what is this? <laughs> and I start buying all these books and reading all these stories. And the thing that really shocked me is going from this person who had this attitude, which not that this is wrong, because again, it's very cute and suggests a lot of faith in humanity to be like, well, why would it matter? I don't understand. And why does the, their orientation, who cares, you know? And I almost resented being told that it does matter until I read Lesfic and connected with it in a way I had never connected with other stories. And I was like, oh, that's why it matters. <laughs> it does matter. <laughs> and um, that was kind of funny because I had been rejecting that idea that it mattered for quite a while. And I kind of it just felt discriminatory being like, we don't want to read your stories, you know. And I was like, well, why not? You telling me you can't possibly care about a lesbian main character? You're what an asshole, you know. <laughs> but then once I did read lesbian books and have them hit so much harder i kind of comp- this is probably inappropriate but i compare it to the first time you mess around with a girl or, or even just kiss her or whatever oh yeah the you're first like, time you meet, oh. you're like oh that's what's been missing like <laughs> i didn't realize it was garbage until now but it was it was the same thing for me with books i was like oh i didn't realize that books were not hitting me the way they were supposed to until i read a lesbian book mm-hmm. so it's kind of like that same feeling if you didn't fully understand what was wrong until you found something right Mm -hmm. what was your what was the first lesbian movie you saw lesbian movie or show or whatever mine's a weird one because it really it was kind of dark it was monster oh yeah Mm -hmm. the charlize god what a (laughs) what an intro (laughs) yeah exactly that's why i say it's kind of a weird one because it was not a warm and fuzzy thing or a sexy thing or whatever you know it's about Mm. a killer you know and um so i mean the lesbian romance is very much important to the story but you're mostly watching it because you're watching a killer yeah Mm -hmm. you know so i that was kind of a weird introduction but that was the first one and i do remember it because i remember them kissing for the first time and me being like whoa like (laughs) 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 what are they doing you can't what you can do that (laughs) so you hadn't figured out your own sexuality when you saw it no no i had not um i was at that point where there were plenty of signs but i had not put it together yet Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was actually my first, which is kind of kind of a strange one, but that was my first lesbian movie, I guess. And then my first experience was actually compliments of you of what I would call, you know, like I said, real lesbian media, I guess, is the L word. 
And that was, I didn't know that existed until you told me. So I introduced you into less fic books and you introduced me into the L word. What, like four or five years after the show had come out? Probably, yeah. I was, I think I was 18. No, 20. No, you were 21. 21. 20, I think 20. 21. We we got together after you had turned 21. Oh, did you not show it to me until we were together? Yeah, yeah, I showed it to you when I was living with you. Oh, really? Okay, 21 it is. (laughs) Yeah, um... That, I, of course, got so sucked into that, though. Oh, yeah. You immediately just rewatched that thing. Yeah, I, like, watched it all and then immediately rewatched it. I was like, oh, my God, what? (laughs) 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 Yeah, because, and that's a different experience to seeing it on TV, you know? Like, reading the books is great and probably deeper, but just seeing it on TV makes it so normal. Mm -hmm. You know, like... You can find anything in books, you know, if you go looking for it. Like, literally anything. Read Hog. Don't, but you could. And, uh, Ooh, Hog. Mm-hmm, with two Gs. No, don't. <laughs> no. Yeah, but that's just an example of the level of craziness you can find in books if you're looking for it. Yeah. You know, and not, not to compare that to lesbian oh, stuff no, in any no. way. But I'm just saying, you know that anything and everything is out there in books. But for it to make it to HBO, now all of a sudden it's very normal. L Word came out on HBO, right? Well, it's Showtime. But yeah, it was the flip to Queer's Folk, yeah. which was all men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was super eye-opening and exciting. So it took a while for you to get into, like, the movies and TV shows. Well, it took me forever to get into lesbic. I don't think I have... Yours... What, I read one, two, maybe three of your books before I even picked up another? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Before I even picked up another lesbic book? I think the first after yours was a Dina Blake book. Love Dina. Shout out Dina Blake. (laughs) And that was a country girl's heart. Yes, I believe that's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I loved, I loved like her settings. She did settings really well, and I just like, I'm like, oh, I don't want to go sit by a tree by a stream. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a country girl. Yeah, <laughs> and I know I read a bit of Justine's Justine Saracen. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah historical fiction mm-hmm. which was wow yeah holy. i i never knew that was a thing historical fiction yeah mm-hmm. until i met her you know and oh, talked really? to her and had no idea that was a thing mm-hmm. and was super interested by that so i know i leafed through I'm, I'm just a terrible reader i used to be such a bookworm and then high school hit and i fell in love and then that was it i was done <laughs> no more books for me <laughs> <laughs> So I leafed through that for a, a little bit, and that was also really interesting. Um, and then I, I think I jumped into Mickey Brent, and we both read that together, Underwater Vibes. Mm-hmm. And that was just so whimsical. Like, I had never... A totally different tone. Totally different perspective, which I totally, like, appreciated. And uh, and right now I'm in the middle of an Aaron Zach book. Which I made you read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was all like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna really commit. I'm gonna really commit and read one all, front to back. Like I tried to suggest one that it would be easy to do that with. That book blew me away. Breaking down her walls. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Laughing all the time with that book and and being like, you know, cringing and be like, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been a fun one, and I've made it like three quarters of the way so i'm i'm almost there high praise (laughs) high praise hard for her to do (laughs) (laughs) i tried radcliffe it's you know uh, i i couldn't can't really do it but you know that's i couldn't watch er either it's just hospital stuff's not really my jam that's a lot of what happens with people. Like, when people get bad reviews and stuff, occasionally it's the writing, but typically it's not. It's a genre issue or not my not my jam type of thing. It's not that the book is bad. It's just not your thing. That's a whole other topic, reviews, but that's my view on it in general. Generally, it's not that anybody's wrong. It's not that the book is bad, and it's not that the reviewer's a terrible human. It's just... 
You got to find what connects with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's fun and it's great knowing that there's such a huge wide variety out there, mm-hmm. you know, because I really thought it was just going to be the same old, same old. And, you know, there kind of is the same kind of story structure pattern, but still vastly different views and perspectives and worlds and characters. And it's, it's been fun reading a little bit of everybody's style. Yeah. For sure. It's. Bold Strokes has so many great authors, and there are plenty of great authors outside of that that just tends to be our world because that's my publisher. But right, yeah, there there's so much good stuff out there to read. Yeah, and it's inspiring. And I went to you with to the conference. Which one was it that I just inspiration shot through me, and I'm like, I'm writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, being around writers will do that. <laughs> And it wasn't just that. It was just reading, you know, a little bit of everybody's stuff, too. And, you know, I was like, I want to add my brand, you know. I want to add my perspective to to the bunch. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started doing it. And I outlined it. I know I had you read the outline. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, cool. Go for it. I wanted to do, a, like, a whole series, a huge series. Yeah. And it was going to be kind of, what do you call it? I don't know. What I don't are you trying know. to describe? It's so it's it's largely based on my life and my journals. Well, that would be a memoir, but you weren't going to publish it that way. Yeah, it was going to be like a fictionalized version, mm-hmm. and I just wanted it to be. It was going to be called the, the Delilah Diaries, so it looks like you're actually reading diary mm-hmm. entries and uh, you know, do what you know best. And I know how to. How, well, whatever. Write the shit out of a journal. <laughs> I don't want to say that, but... I'll yeah. say it. She writes the shit out of a journal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I just... I, I wanted to follow this character through their journey as they fell in love with various, albeit toxic, people, you know? As we do. Yeah, as we do. <laughs> as you go through life. And I just... I wanted her to fall in love... Then she finds out their toxicity and then has to, like, break up, you know. And that's... all. The books always end with her being alone again. But then, like, the more I read and the more I saw and the more conferences I saw, you know, you cannot end a book like that. You cannot end a romance like that. You can end a book like that. The thing is, is that if you write a romance, and the thing that's tricky for you is because the book would be about the romance up until the point it's not... um, your book is about Delilah, though. It's about the main character and her journey and her character growth. I mean, I think you would call it general fiction, most likely. You just can publish it as a romance, because a romance, the point of the story is these two people falling in love and getting together and a happy ending required. That's not true of just books in general, though. You just couldn't publish it as a romance. You could publish it as general fiction. Mm. Yeah, I... I don't know. I lo- I lost faith in it. <laughs> I, I the pressures of, and especially seeing all the reviews that everybody gives you. You know, I'm like, no one would ever like my stuff. Like, gives me. Yeah, my reviews discourage you. Yeah, that is way too much power for a review. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, why more? Where's the flowers and puppies and love? Oh, you know, and okay. I'm like, oh crap! Like that's not what this is gonna be. Yeah, to fill you guys in, I have been accused on a few occasions of being angsty, and that brings us back to that word. I know. I Dina has said this publicly, so I know she won't mind. She's been accused of being angsty as well in certain circumstances. And really, to me, all angsty is is conflict, you know. And Mm -hmm. I did have one publisher give me the note that it felt more angsty than authentic. And to me, she's the one person that I took that critique from and actually understood what she was saying in a way that actually mattered to me. Because when people just say angsty and all they mean is there is a lot of drama, I throw that out the window. I'm like, yeah, there's supposed to be. It's a book. <laughs> but um, that one that one agent who said that it felt more angsty than authentic, I took that to mean it's more teenage than adult, you know? Like, it's kind of like slam the door on your mom. I'm Never talk to me again. I hate you kind of angst. Because it's like... 
you can't go to the movies because you have to do your homework. And it's like, ah, you're, my life. You're the worst mom ever. Yeah. Shambles. Yeah. <laughs> so that one agent said it, and she said it very gently, and she said it's a touch angstier than, you know, and rubs me a little bit more angsty than authentic. And it was a very young person's book, so she's probably right, um, which is why I enjoyed going back to it older and rewriting it and turning it into Shadows of a Dream. Because Dissonance in A Minor might have been a little guilty of that at times. And she pointed that out. But that's the only person who's ever mentioned that word angsty who said it in in a way that I was like, okay, I can take actual meaning from that. But when people in the lesbian community, because there's this kind of group of core reviewers that just review everything, and they use that word quite a bit. And the way they tend to mean it really to me is just it has more drama than they're comfortable with a higher level of conflict than they're comfortable with or a type of conflict that they're not comfortable with because i i know in in dina's case the big issue was that she messed with infidelity which is just apparently the no of all no's in lesbic (laughs) well see right there i couldn't do it (laughs) well and i i rebel against this and i also rebel against the idea that we need to be beholden to reviewers i mean obviously the the goal is for readers to read it and to love it but you cannot write for reviewers you have to write the story you want to write and they will come you know your people will find you and if they're not your people then they're not your people anyway you know like so i mean i would never write or not write something based solely on reviews particularly someone else's reviews forget that yeah and the thing is too is that like the you know yeah infidelity infidelity is unpleasant and women in particular are like i would never forgive you know women say that a lot but the reality is that it happens and so why can't you write about it yeah I'm just also really freaked out that, especially with our PC culture nowadays, mm-hmm. I'm really afraid that it's just going to be like, trigger warning, trigger warning, and just have like a huge page of, you know, <laughs> don't read Cassandra's shit. Like, <laughs> well, here's the thing. There are certain readers who would find it to be too much for them, but that's okay because there are also readers who love it. You know, I am a reader who loves it and who was actively seeking it out and ended up writing it because I couldn't find enough of it. So your people are out there. You just got to find them. And you've got to wade through the people who don't like that, who just read everything. And because a lot of reviewers just read everything. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, it's a matching thing, you know, just because they don't like heavy conflict or real life feeling. You know, some people read to learn some people read to think some people read to escape you know so if you're if you've got a reader who's in it to feel good they're probably not going to be interested in something that's like dark and emotional and taxing and you know all of that (laughs) but there are plenty of people out there who are Uh, yeah i just feel like it's such a fraction it might be we're a weird group i guess (laughs) i don't know And then you don't ever know what's going to hit either because I wrote The Clinch recently, which I kind of was holding my breath thinking I might get nailed to the wall on that one because it's about fighters. And I thought that the same people who were like, don't want it to be too dark or too angsty, I figured might not take well to that because I've gotten comments about violence in the past and now I'm writing a book about fighters. So I kind of was holding my breath a little bit. I didn't know how well it would be received, and it turned out people loved it. It's been my best-received book yet. So there is a certain measure of unpredictability to this as well. You have to just write what you want to write. I think the reason why the clinch works so well is because you've made them so human, because everyone just sees, you know, cage fighting as brutes, you know, mindless violence. Mm-hmm. And so you put the human behind it. You're like, no, they've got goals and, you know, they're trying to... Yeah, I, I broke a stereotype, I guess. And I think people, when it's something they know nothing about, they're a little more open because they know they don't know. They might have this idea from just seeing it at a distance, but people are fairly willing to admit that they know nothing about the world and be educated on it. It's true, because I remember when I first met you and you told me that you were into martial arts, I was all like... Whoop, whoop. red flag red flag she might kick my ass like 
could be abusive, and you're like, what? I know, it's funny, because as a martial artist my entire life, you would think I would have come across that stereotype, but I hadn't. I was shocked that you thought that. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, martial artists are so respectful, they're like the least likely person to ever abuse you. Like, and I really genuinely felt that way, and you genuinely felt like it was a red flag, so it was interesting, you know, and so I'm just, I've enjoyed exposing people to the the real world of martial arts. I'm sure there are dicks out there who are abusive, don't get me wrong, I mean, it. you've got bad people who do everything, but in general, that is not a true stereotype. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all that to say, I think you should write the Delilah Diaries. And you just have to write, write what you know, right? And write the story that's in your heart. You know, you're never going to be more successful by trying to write what you think people want you to write. You have to write what's in your heart. I don't know what's in my heart. <laughs> well, the Delilah Diaries, you got all excited about it. You had all that inspiration and excitement and energy. That's what you need. You've got to take that energy and put it on paper. Yeah. I just feel like I wanted to share my gut punching. Yeah, so you're writing, the first time I read it, and this was a huge part of why I let you read Dissonance in A Minor, even before I was to that point where I typically will share it, is because you were giving me some of yours and I wanted to reciprocate. And um, what you showed me, it was like, I guess it was kind of like a hybrid of journal versus and poetry. It was kind of poetry in journal form, I guess, you know, it was real, it was your life talking about you, but it was written poetically. There were, I actually even remember the line, can I, I yeah. don't, I don't remember it start to finish, but you were talking about an ex-girlfriend, well, at the time, I think it was your girlfriend, in the time that you wrote it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And you were talking about how she had cheated on you, and you were, one of the lines in there was like how you couldn't stop thinking about her lips around his cock. And I would like felt like I'd been like knocked over. <laughs> it like slapped me through the page. I was like, oh, I like had a visceral reaction to it, where I was like, holy shit, that's powerful and direct and like yeah, it just it knocked me back, you know. And that was the first time you did it to me. But as I kept reading more and more of your stuff, you do that a lot. You you get these one-liners that it's just like, holy shit. And you like, and it stays with you. I mean, it's been 10 years and I remember that line, you know, so it's, and that's a talent you know, to be able to say something. And some people will say that that's just shock value, but it's not. It's poignant. It is, uh, it, it hits the emotion and it makes you feel the emotion because we, most people are too afraid to say it that way. They'll say, you know, all these fluffy innuendos about the betrayal of whatever, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Betrayed me by lying with another. And, <laughs> you know, how dare you? And the pain and I'm shattered and whatever, you know, they'll get all, they'll get what they think is poetic about it, but you just know fluff. And because of the way you say it, it hits like I just, walked in on my girl giving a guy a blowjob and then you're just like oh my god and instead of having to tell me how shattered you are I feel shattered myself hmm. which is the essence of why everyone says show don't tell right mm, don't tell <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> not going there <laughs> Um, <laughs> I have a book in my backlog called Don't Tell that we won't be telling about. Oh, it's so good, and it's never going to see the light of day, because yeah. people are... Wonders. It will in 40 years or so, don't worry. <laughs> when you die. Yeah. P- publish that one posthumously, please. Yeah, I'll have to... <laughs> <laughs> or under a pen name you oh. will never discover, and now I'll have to retitle it as well, because I told you it. Well, we never called it Don't Tell. We anyway. did for a minute. That's, like, the book I can't title. It's been called so many fucking things. Yeah. I thought I knew them all, and then I saw a file saved as something else the other day, and I was like, oh, God, I forgot about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but anyway, I... The gut punching is exactly what I'm terrified of, is... That's what makes it so good. Exactly. Well, you know, that's how I feel, too. I'm like, I want to share it, you know? But I also feel like the demographic 
Yeah, there's a whole class of people that doesn't like it to get punched in the gut. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So I feel like it's going to get a ton of backlash. And then anybody that will be willing to look at the book, you know, all they're going to see in the reviews is like, ah, oh my God, you know. Well, your thing is you need to find the right publisher. And in your case, it would probably not be Bold Strokes. I love Bold Strokes, don't get me wrong. But I don't think that that is where you would want to take that story. I don't even, I don't know. It's not going to happen. I don't, I don't have the motivation. <laughs> Just ask me. Hit me up. I'll send you some crazy gut-punching poetry or there you go. or something. Right into the podcast. I'll tell Cass to send you some chapters or some gut-posting or gut-punching poetry. Yeah, but you've got power as your main asset in writing. You, you, you punch people in the gut for sure. And I understand the structure of the Delilah Diaries, too, because... You know, each single book would be the process of one relationship and realizing the flaws in that person and in the relationship and in yourself and growing and changing. And then the arc of the series would be, you know, ultimately figuring out what it is you do need after trying all these things that turned out not to be what you need. Right. And that's what I liked about it, too, is the journey of both finding out what you need in a partner and finding out the flaws in yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's still happening for me. Like (laughs) didn't I, like the other night I was telling Nicole about how I just had a freaking epiphany about all my exes and how I always really wanted forward women. And like, I always wanted them just to come up and just to touch me and to, you know, just not be afraid to do all that kind of stuff. And then I realized that's actually probably not a good idea because the people that just come up to you and without any prompting just touch you or hug you or all that kind of stuff. Kiss you. Yeah. <laughs> they don't listen to your boundaries. They ignore your boundaries. They're not looking for consent. They're just taking initiative and taking what they want. And I was like, Oh, duh. No wonder all of my exes were toxic AF. Yeah. Because <laughs> you chose people who don't respect boundaries. Yeah. Because it's hot to have someone just come into your space if you want them there. It's not so hot if you don't. Right. It's hot in the beginning, but then they start doing it with other things, and then you're like, whoa, that's not mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. That's a good epiphany. And, I mean, they say that we date to repair wounds that we have, you know? Like, we find partners that heal our own personal wounds, whether they aggravate it and bring it to our attention or actually heal it, you know, it's one or the other, right? Mm -hmm. They make it, they aggravate it and bring your attention to the fact that you need to do some work there or they are actually helpful, you know, that is possible too, Mm -hmm. but tends to be more of the first, (laughs) more aggravation. (laughs) I think that's because we learn through pain better than we learn through just straightforward lessons. Yeah. It's hard to change, you know. You can't really be convinced to change until it hurts not to. So you get these toxic people in your life who are pressing on sore spots, you know, and you change because it hurts. You know, we don't change as well when someone just comes up and says, your potential is this, let me help you, you know. Like it's, it's harder to change that way even though it's nicer, but the pain isn't a motivating factor. What's the darkest lesbic book you've read? Mm. Oh, the darkest lesbic. I mean, honestly, it's probably my own. But um, <laughs> <Right>? I, <laughs> I haven't read anything that matches yours at all yet. I, yeah, I haven't found any that are that dark. I think Robin Nix probably is right there. I haven't read what I've heard to be her darkest, but what I've heard about it is that it is fairly dark. Mm-hmm. I have read her Extractor series. And that was great. I loved that. And it does go some places that I was like, oh, cool. Look at you. Look at you going there, you know, because like a lot of people don't go there, you know, and I get excited when people do, you know, when they when they do something dangerous, when they put themselves out there like that, where you're like that moment like you're talking about where you're scared to put it out because you feel like you're going to get bashed, you know, like there is that. But when someone does that, I admire it and I try to reward it with, you know, reviews or comments or whatever, you know, I try to be like, hey. I see that you did this and I understand that you probably were afraid to on some level and thank you. Bravo. You know? Um, so her books take you to some kind of uncomfortable places at times. Um, who else? 
dark. Yeah, there's just not a lot out there. Mm-mm. And it depends what you mean by dark, too, because there are plenty of, like, mysteries and stuff with, ki- you know, killers and crime and stuff, you know? So if you're just talking about violence, I guess there are plenty of them, which is hilarious how acceptable violence is and how unacceptable so many other things are, like rape or depression suicide yeah yeah i'm not talking so much about you know just straight that was a thing a wall that i came up against because i used to describe my work as dark a lot or i would see publishers that say they like dark work and i'd be like oh great you'll like this and then they're like whoa not like that that's not what What? i meant yeah what the hell do they want then they want nor yes oh yeah um that or even just kind of Heroes with rough edges, I guess. But, like, it's so much more tame than I thought they meant when they said dark. When I say dark, I mean dark. You know, I mean... It's emotionally dark. Emotionally dark, exactly. Like, it um, make you cry and... That's what I want. Yeah, like, indie movie dark. (laughs) (laughs) Boy in the striped pajamas dark. Yes. Yeah, that's what I mean by dark. How are you supposed to evolve as a human if you don't face the hard... Yeah. Truths. Exactly. So that's that's what I mean when I say dark. But it turns out, and I'm sure some people do too, but I ran into that problem a lot where I would submit to people because they said they like dark stuff, and it turns out that is not what they meant. Wow. Yeah. So you got to be careful with that too. And you got to see it for what it is when that happens to you and not not get down about it. Just be like, oh, okay, that's not what you meant, you know, and that's not your cup of tea, and that's fine. But there are not that many dark publishers, which again speaks to the fact that most people don't like to read dark stuff. Or watch dark stuff, for that matter. I think we should, like, just start our own little publishing company. And <laughs> for just, dark shit? Yeah, for dark stuff that people are just not willing to... Emotionally dark. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember when um, my mom and I went on this kick for a while where, like, every week we would go see an indie movie. And a lot of those are dark. Not all of them. Some of them are just kind of quirky, you know, like, silly. But... You'll see a lot more of that where it's like, oh, God, like you get to the end of the movie and you're like, I don't know if I had a good time or not. <laughs> <laughs> the stoning of Soraya M. Yes, exactly. That kind of stuff where it's like, did, and I think this is where people struggle with books or movies or anything is that it's not exactly enjoyable. Right. You know, like, and I think that a lot, so many people, especially in reading, they do it to escape and to enjoy it. Like, it's just a different goal. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um that dark hit you in the gut make you cry leave feeling a little bit queasy stuff it's <laughs> my jam it's my jam too you know and it's and you're right it does help you grow and it helps you see the world in a different way it, you know it's a perspective thing and it makes you a better person it, it's not exactly fun but it makes you a better person and i enjoy knowing stories like that and thinking about it. it's very existential to think how bad it could be Mm-hmm. You know, and what certain people have gone through, especially a story like the stoning of Soraya M, where you know it happened, mm-hmm. and trying to sit with that, mm-hmm. you know, because that's a movie that you have to sit with. If you guys haven't seen it, you should. The stoning of Soraya M, and uh, and beware, you it's brutal, it's brutal, but you need to know that that happens in the world. You need to sit with that. And what does that mean? What can we do to get past it? You know, you just. Things are fundamentally wrong in the world. And for me, it makes me think about solutions. It makes me think about solutions. It also makes me feel good just the literal act just of sitting with it, of just knowing this person went through that and let me honor it for a moment. True. You know, and yeah, it feels like shit, but it felt way worse for you. Let me honor that for a second and just feel like shit about it because it did happen. And even though it's unpleasant for me to sit with it, you deserve for people to sit with it because mm-hmm. it is reality. Mm-hmm. I think that's another reason why people are less tolerant of it in fiction, though, because people will watch or read a true story that's horrific. Right. But they don't want to read fiction that's horrific. Right. They're like, oh, this came out of your imagination. It's like, well, this is this is not like unheard of. Right. Exactly. But I think they're much more willing to go there if it's true. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that it has its place in fiction as well. It's the same concept. You're still bringing attention to very real issues. The people in it might not be real, but you're probably talking, you know, if you're talking about human trafficking or rape or whatever, it's just because I made up a character doesn't mean that 
it's not a thing that happens and that deserves attention. What do you think about a publishing company that does lesbian authors only and they can just do whatever they want? Hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. You think there's a market for that? Probably, because there are plenty of people who want to support, you know, minorities of all kinds. You know, there are lots of projects out there to create more equal representation for, you know, LGBT authors or any minority, black authors, you know, everyone, anyone who is a minority. There are different contests and things like that that are geared for them, even just women, women authors. Right, true. Yeah, it's like, Support women, you know, businesses, mm-hmm. supply, uh, support black-owned businesses now. Yeah. Support lesbian exactly. <laughs> written books. I don't know. Yeah. So I feel like some people have kind of dabbled in that a little bit by doing contests for them or doing, like, calls of submissions. Like, certain publishers will be like, okay, calls for submissions from, you know, black authors or, or whatever, you know, whatever they're looking for, you know. So they'll do that, but the publishing house in general is not only for those people, but they'll do calls for those people. Mm. All right, well, that's all I've got. How about you? I think that we're at a perfect stopping point. We're right about in an hour. Perfect. So, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on, and we look forward to the Delilah Diaries. I'll keep working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold your breath. I'll keep working on it. <laughs> honestly though it's been lovely chatting yes and i look forward to hearing hopefully some other authors will want to be in on this i hope so that is the plan and if you guys have any questions that you would like anyone in particular to tackle or just in general that you'd like to see us discuss feel free to send us an email or drop a comment or anything Anything. 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 (laughs) However you choose to reach out is welcome. (laughs) And like, subscribe, share, all of that jazz. I hate saying that. Everyone says that. But it's true. It is necessary. It is. So it's very appreciated. Anyway, I guess that's it. So we'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye. Bye.